Antonio Banderas as a former government assassin who has a price on his head. Other assassins trying to kill each other for a bounty. A family situation. A real bar called Old Well Tavern. And well, that's just about all that makes up the just-released movie, Codename Banshee. Hi, this is Tom Pizzotto from SpyMovieNavigator.com. Join me for our no-spoiler review of Codename Banshee. The goal of these no-spoiler reviews is to tell you just enough about the movie to help you decide if you want to go see it or not, without giving anything away. So let's crack the code of this spy movie, and I'll put the word spy in quotes because it's mostly an assassin movie with at least one of the characters having a former government background. I fell asleep. I thought it was too violent. I'm a big Antonio Banderas fan. I wish he was in more of it. Well, it was either this or the Minions, and I wasn't going to go to the Minions. And the violence here was what I'd get if I just went to downtown Chicago. Yep, those are the actual comments of four of the 11 people who were in the theater with me on opening night of the movie Codename Banshee in a theater outside of Chicago. Not exactly ringing endorsements. Let's find out why. Now this is the third movie in the last 11 months to have a female lead agent or assassin. In August of 2021, we got The Protégé. In January of 2022, we got The 355. And now here in July of 2022, we get Codename Banshee. And in our opinion, that's the order of quality for these movies. We think The Protégé was much better than the other two. So the official tagline for Codename Banshee is, Caleb, a former government assassin in hiding, who resurfaces when his protege, the equally deadly killer known as Banshee, discovers a bounty has been placed on Caleb's head. Now this sounded eerily similar to the tagline for the movie The Protégé, which we reviewed in an episode in August of 2021, and we liked that movie. The Protégé tagline was, Rescued as a child by the legendary assassin Moody, Anna is the world's most skilled contract killer. However, when Moody is brutally killed, she vows revenge for the man who taught her everything she knows. I rewatched The Protégé when I got home, and I wanted to make sure there was as much similarity in this as I thought there might be, and there kind of was. And if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can watch The Protégé as part of your membership, at least for this month in the U.S. It's a better use of one hour and 49 minutes, in, in our opinion. Now, to be fair, Caleb is not whose death Banshee is trying to avenge. But the concept is similar. There's an assassin who seeks to revenge a death, and her mentor is involved. Now, the cast for this movie is strong. Antonio Banderas plays Caleb, and he's usually very good. Jamie King plays Banshee. Tommy Flanagan plays Anthony Green. And Catherine Davis plays someone named Haley. Now, Banderas is fine in his role. Nothing special, though. It's just fine. We normally like his work, but there was nothing that really stood out in his performance in this movie. For us, Tommy Flanagan and Catherine Davis steal this movie. We thought they were both very good, especially with the script they were given, and they're really supporting characters to Banshee and to Caleb. We think Davis's character Haley was a role that is younger than Davis is, and this is only because of one line in the movie. She was asked if she had any homework to do. If you pull that one question out, you would have never thought twice about her age. Now, Davis is only 27, but with the homework line, it sure made it sound like they were trying to make her play a lot younger than she was. And again, they didn't need the line. It worked, her character worked fine without it, but that's part of the problem with this movie. We don't think this script is very solid at all, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Now, the main lead for this movie is Jamie King as Banshee, and we just couldn't get into her role. We don't know if it's how 
King acted the role. We don't know if it was John Key's direction. We don't know if the, it was the costumes, which bothered me here. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Was it Matthew Rogers' boring script that she was given? Or was it the character itself? I'm really not sure which what it was, but, but we sure couldn't get into this character. And in any case, the audience needs to bond with Banshee for this movie to work. And unfortunately for us, we didn't. Jamie King's a fine actress. Unfortunately, she didn't have more to work with than what she had in this movie. The script was terrible. Now, if you remember our review of the 355, we couldn't get into Jessica Chastain's character, Mace, either. And it was a problem in that movie, and it's a problem here in Codename Banshee. In The Protégé, however, Mankey Q's character, Anna, was someone we could bond with. We liked. We liked how that character was developed, unlike Banshee here. And we'll talk a little bit about this lack of development when we talk about the writing in more detail. And it's too bad, because if Banshee doesn't work for us, the movie's not going to work for us. Codename Banshee had scant advertising and distribution. Within 30 miles of New York City, there were only three theaters showing this movie. Within 30 miles of Chicago, there were only two. And within 30 miles of downtown Los Angeles, there were only three. How many movie theaters are there within the 30-mile radius of each of these three very large cities? Yet a total of eight movie theaters showed this movie in those regions. And they only had one showing a day. That was a warning to us. Given this distribution, we assumed this movie was a stinker. And to our surprise, we're sitting there in the first, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes of the movie. I didn't time it here. We're actually pretty good. And I remember thinking, oh, maybe I was wrong about this movie because I really thought it wasn't going to be good when I got there just with this whole distribution and advertising. And the first 20 minutes were, were nice. I mean, it, was, it, was, it started out really good. Unfortunately, there was an hour left of the movie after I thought that. So this movie starts with a character named Carla berating someone about a failed mission. And Carla is obviously the boss of whoever she's scolding. And this scene was a solid start to the movie. It worked well. If you follow the Cracking the Code of Spy movie podcast, you know one of our goals is to highlight where a movie has most likely been influenced by either another movie or real-life events. Well, in this opening scene, we don't see the face of the person getting dressed down. We just see the back of her head and a bit of the side of her face, but barely. And it ends up being Banshee, Jamie King's character, the lead of the movie. And we like this slow reveal of lead agents. We've talked about this in other podcast episodes and how we like that technique to kind of build us into who is this person. And we believe this scene was a callback to the 1946 Hitchcock classic, Notorious. The introduction to Devlin in Notorious is almost identical. You see the back of his head while Alicia is talking to him, and it takes quite a while before you see his face. And the slow reveal has also been used in Bond movies as every new actor takes the role, with the exception of Daniel Craig. They broke the formula for every Bond movie he did. Thank goodness we're done with him. Now, another trope that we see in the most recent spy movies also appears here. There's a tech guy named Kronos, played very well by Alexander Weichelboim. He can hack into anything. We see that he communicates with Banshee with each of them wearing an earpiece, and the communication is flawless. And like we see in most movies, somehow these earpieces can get through everything. I mean, no matter where Banshee goes, she can be talked to on this earpiece. Then Kronos hacks into a building's systems, and we can see all the cameras, and he can control the elevator. Well, until he can't. Like Jack Harmon in the first Mission Impossible movie, someone overrides the elevator from Kronos's hack. So his hack was hacked. But unlike Jack Harmon, Kronos wasn't in danger. He didn't die while this happened. The hack of the hack happened, but then Kronos got back into control. 
Now, based on the tagline we said earlier, we know that a former government assassin has a bounty on his head, and that bounty is $10 million. Now, if we remember the James Bond movie, The Man with the Golden Gun, Scaramanga was paid $1 million for each hit. So that was 1974, and today's dollars, that would be between 7 and $8 million. And Scaramanga was supposedly the world's most expensive hitman. So the price in today's dollars is still under what the price for Caleb is. So someone must really want Caleb dead. But here, it's one of the places the plot falls apart. With somebody having that big a bounty, how was he able to hide for so long? And it was many years. But then how was he found so quickly in this movie? That didn't seem to make sense like a lot of this movie. So that's about as much of the start of the movie as we want to disclose because we don't want to give you any spoilers here. Now the next part of the movie has Banshee trying to find Caleb and warn him. We won't say how it happens, but she does find him. And the scene where they meet is well done with a good amount of humor and tension. They knew each other before, so this, this actually worked pretty well. Another scene that felt like a callback to another spy movie is a scene in a bar where a door gets locked. Don't want to go into more details on it, but it was a decent scene and probably the last decent scene in the movie. Although when the door gets locked, we could hear the words, Manners maketh man from Kingsman, the Secret Service. Okay, we really couldn't hear them, but as soon as that lock went on the door on the bar, you thought it. Another part of the plot we feel safe to talk about is the character Anthony Green. He's the guy who's very well played by Tommy Flanagan and is the guy trying to collect the bounty on Caleb. You'll find this out early, so we don't want to really think it's a spoiler if it's something right at the, towards the beginning of the movie. And this gives us the tension and is really the rest of the goal of the movie. You've got Anthony Green trying to find Caleb and get to Caleb, and Banshee's trying to warn Caleb. Now, as we mentioned earlier, this was written by Matthew Rogers, and we're not sure he knew what he wanted in this movie. There's almost no depth to the character of Banshee or any of the other characters. Yet we find out that something happened to Banshee's father years ago, We don't want to spoil more, so we won't get into much more depth. But then again, there was not much more depth in this. Rogers didn't go into depth about her relationship with her father, why she was so concerned about what happened to him after all these years. I mean, other than a cursory pass at some background information about Caleb, we get no depth there. The same thing for Anthony Green. Also, most spy movies have a twist in them, something to make us think one way and the movie goes another. Nothing like that here. Rogers wrote this as just a linear path from point A to point B to point C. And the action sequences for an action movie were weak. So weak, in fact, that even though the movie's only an hour and a half long, it was, in our opinion, maybe 10 minutes too long for the plot we got. Maybe even more than that. The big climatic scene at the end, the action scene at the end of this thing, was boring, and it was way too long for what it was. So, we don't want to spoil the plot here, although... If you're hearing this, you're probably not going to watch this movie anyways. Let's go ahead and leave the plot discussion and get into some production stuff. The lighting is fine, but this movie has one of our big pet peeves, and they're doing this a lot in these action movies. In too many of the action sequences, the camera work is very shaky. I mean, it's intentional. We talked about this in our episode about the movie 355, how much we dislike camera shakiness in any scene, let alone an action scene. I know they think it adds to the drama, but for us it detracts from the movie. We almost want to shout to the screen, hold the bleep and camera steady for goodness sake. Let me watch what you're trying to show me, not some blurred image. Okay, enough about that. Let's talk about the costumes. Erica Howard was the costume designer, and we've not seen any of her previous work, so we can't compare this to our other work. Most of the people's costumes were fine. However, Banshee's suit, we hated that suit. 
This thing had three-quarter length pants and a three-quarter length sleeves. It was a suit. It was a look that just didn't work for us for somebody in her role as an assassin. So for us, this costuming for Banshee was a big miss. In fact, it annoyed us more and more as the movie progressed. And it's possibly one of the reasons that we didn't like the character of Banshee. It was just this suit she was wearing that just didn't seem to work for what the character was. The climactic scene of the movie had parts that felt a bit like a key part of the James Bond movie Skyfall. We don't want to give it away, but the scene in Skyfall included M and Kincaid. And you'll know what we're talking about if you want to watch this movie and you have seen Skyfall. And then right at the end of the movie, there's a conversation that makes it sound like they were almost setting up a sequel. God, we hope not. This movie's gotten almost no publicity It's getting terrible reviews, and a sequel would be a costly mistake in our opinion. So, should you go see Codename Banshee? Well, I might have a different answer if I had streamed this instead of going to the theater. In fact, I almost didn't go to the theater. I could have rented this on Amazon Prime for $6.99. But if it's an action movie, I'd rather watch an action movie in a theater. So I drove to the one showing at one of the few theaters I could find that showed this movie. What a waste. It's a violent movie. It's unrated. They call it an action movie, but there's no big action. If we're going to put a name to it, instead of big action, we might call it dull action. I mean, you've got the CGI flashes on guns when they're fired, and that was probably the best of it, and it's not a compliment, and unfortunately, most movies are going that way now. So if an action movie doesn't have big action in it, there's no reason to go see it on a big screen. So we absolutely would not recommend you go to a theater to see this thing especially if you have such a hard time as I did finding a theater that's going to show it. Now, streaming it might be fine because you don't have the expectations of the big action movie. Maybe it's fine that way. We didn't do it, so we're not sure. The plot problems would still exist, but you may not care as much about the poor action sequences on a smaller screen. Now, one thing about our experience going to this movie that was kind of telling is there was a trailer before the movie started on Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. That movie isn't due out for another year. And it was the best thing we saw on the screen that night. The trailer for that was way better than the movie Codename Banshee. As the one customer I quoted earlier said, I fell asleep. You want to know if this is a good action movie? That's all you need to know. This has been Tom Pizzotto of SpyMovieNavigator.com. Subscribe to our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies, in your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Tell your friends about us. Share info about our show on your own social media. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it.